0: O God, who before the passion of thy only begotten Son did reveal his glory upon the holy mountain, grant unto us that we, beholding by faith the light of his countenance, may be strengthened to bear our cross and be changed into his likeness from glory to glory, through the same Jesus Christ our Lord, who liveth and reigneth with thee in the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. That's the Collect appointed for today, Transfiguration Sunday, February the 27th, 2022. You're listening to Faith Seeking Understanding, and I'm your host, John Green. So today is indeed Transfiguration Sunday. It's the last Sunday of the season of Epiphany. Lent begins on Wednesday. Ash Wednesday is coming up. Um, nobody's favorite day. But it's an important transition to make in our, in our lives and, and in the calendar itself as we begin to think about different things. And so the Transfiguration is the, the sort of the, the complete revelation of Jesus as the incarnate Son of God. So that ends our epiphany, the revelation, the manifestation of Jesus on earth, that that it, it is the last Sunday of epiphany because it's the clearest and highest revelation of him in his flesh prior to the resurrection. So that's where we are. Um, it, it's been, for us, a, kind of a quiet week, not too much going on, kind of weather, weather's been iffy and up and down, been rainy and... It's been a strange uh, winter, certainly, because it's been a really warm week. It's been the 60s several days, um, but not a whole lot going on this week, I don't think. I can't think of anything particularly exciting that's happened. Um, had a, spent been able to spend a lot of time with friends this week, and uh, that's been always a good thing. The uh, been kind of preoccupied, obviously, late in the week with what's been going on in Ukraine with the Russian incursion there. And we have a lot of Ukrainian friends here in Asheville. There's a very large Ukrainian community here. There's multiple uh, Ukrainian churches, quote, unquote, because they're not just Ukrainians that go. But we we happen to have a lot of Ukrainian friends. So um, keep the people of Ukraine in your prayers, but also the people of Russia, because there's not – there have been a lot of demonstrations in Russia about this um, incursion as well, and not not in favor of. So please be, keep them in your prayers because it has the potential, certainly, to be an incredibly bloody conflict that that involves not just military but also civilians as they've you know sort of kind of ramped up the the home guard as it were in uh, protecting the city of Kyiv. So that that's kind of cast a big shadow in in some ways over the late part of the week. Um, but transfiguration sunday has a, a always has a soft spot and a, and a, it always makes me smile whenever we come to transfiguration there's a there's a, the feast of the transfiguration is actually later in the year and is, the whole day is dedicated to the transfiguration and it's in august and so several well, 20 years ago um was visiting somebody in the hospital it was a lady who who had previously lived uh, in Pauly's island and then had moved away and then when she got sick and was dying, she came back because that's where she wanted to be buried. And so she came back and lived. And while she was dying, she was in the hospital at one point. And I went to visit her and it was a couple of weeks, I think probably after Transfiguration Sunday, because the the collect for that day was fresh in my mind. And so when I went to visit her, I went in, I had my collar on, took my little uh, box with the communion stuff in it and, um, went in and there was a lady sitting with her because there was no family actually living in the town. So they had somebody sit with her. And, and so it happened to be a black lady. And I walked in and, and greeted her and she immediately turned her back on me. And I thought, well, that's unusual. I've never seen that happen. Um, but whatever. you know. <laughs> so I started getting ready to do what I was going to do. And I made the decision that that when we did the communion together, that I would use the colic for Transfiguration Sunday. Now, the lady was was not too responsive the lady who was sick um anyway so i I got everything ready and then i I went over and prepared everything and and was ready to celebrate communion and i invited the sitter to come over with us and she ignored me and (laughs) but then i prayed that collect and the collect is this oh god who on the holy mount revealed to chosen witnesses your well-beloved son wonderfully transfigured in raiment white and glistening Mercifully grant that we, being delivered from the disquietude of this world, may by faith behold the King in his beauty, who with you, O Father, and you, O Holy Spirit, lives and reigns, one God, forever and ever. So I prayed that prayer, and as I finished, the sitter said, Amen, Lord Jesus. And she got up, and she came over with me. So we're standing there, and I said, Before I do communion, I'd like to pray over her, and you're welcome to join me. So I began to pray, and as soon as I began to pray, she began to pray. And I thought, well, that's not really the way we do it, not in the Anglican world, Uh, but whatever. Uh, It seems to be your culture, so I'll just play along. I'll just continue to do what I do. And so I was praying, and then suddenly she began to pray in tongues, and then so did I. (laughs) And it was an interesting moment. And I looked up at one point because I realized somebody had come in the room, and it was the nurse had come in. I guess she heard us and wondered what in the world was going on is looking at the two of us like, you're the most unlikely pair I think I've ever seen in my life, and what in the world are you doing? So we finished up, and I got to be friends with her. We spent some time together. She asked me to write out that collect so that she could give it to her pastor because she loved it so much, and and, and, the, and I've just been amazed at how um, an Anglican collect could have brought together two people who initially didn't bond at all, and then suddenly this collect... Um, brings us together as brother and sister in christ and it's a wonderful thing it it was because it was we we were drawn together because of the beauty of the way that it described jesus and so it it was a a wonderful moment uh in time and i'll never forget it and and it always brings a smile to my face to think about it (laughs) so um today we are looking at the transfiguration we're beginning with the shining face of moses and so moses is coming down the mountain from Having received the second set of tablets, the first one, remember, he broke because uh, he he annulled the the covenant because what he was doing was avoiding the judgment that would be poured out on the people based on those two tablets. And whether Moses understood all that at the moment, who knows, but I, I believe that he did. He spent 40 days with the Lord, and he had probably told him a few things. These tablets are to go into the Ark of the Covenant, and the Ark, ark is then to be sealed with a kippurit, the covering which, on which the cherubim stand guard over it like they do over the Tree of Life in um, the Garden of Eden. So it, it, he, he, it, once it's sealed, then on Yom Kippur every year, the, the high priest goes in and throws blood of the sacrifice on the Ark to, to keep the lid sealed on the judgments, And so Moses, I believe, knew what he was doing and averted that judgment being poured out on the people by by smashing those tablets. So he has to go back up, get new tablets, go back up the mountain, get those complete, and then he comes back down the mountain. And that's where we are today. When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand as he came down from the mountain, Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone because he'd been talking with God. So there was a glow and a radiance to Moses, having been in the presence of the living God. And, and that, that shone on his face, and the way that I like to think about it is God is the sun, and Moses is the moon at this point. He's reflecting the light of God, because God is inexpressible light. So, so I believe that, that he sort of had a God tan of sorts, and so it's going to fade over time like a tan would. But Aaron and all the people of Israel saw Moses, and behold, the skin of his face shone, and they were afraid to come near him. So this this glow, this radiance coming from Moses, because he had spent time in the presence of God, caused the people to be afraid of him. And that reminds me of initially one of, one of the things that you'll read in, in uh, Midrash is that the 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 thing about uh, in. Genesis 3, about they were naked and unashamed, and then after sin, they were naked and ashamed. So the way that the um, Jewish sages taught that, and and the way that it's taught even today, is, is that they were covered in garments of light. So it's the Shekinah glory of God. And because they had this covering of light, they were not aware that they were even naked. But sin comes in, and then that glory, those garments are removed, and God makes them garments of skin after that. So one of the reasons they were clothed in, in the garments of light is they were God's representatives on earth, and so he gave some of his glory to them as a covering to authenticate them, but also so that the animal kingdom would have the same, quote, fear of them that we're intended to have of God. It's not abject fear and, and hopelessness. No, it's reverent fear. So we know we're coming into the presence of a holy God, and so we're going to be careful about the way that we do that. We're not going to treat him the same way we would treat our buddies. We're not going to approach him in the same way. And so here what we see is, is that, that that same fear that was over the animals is, is now coming upon the people, including the high priest Aaron, who is Moses' brother, um, when they see his shining face. So it's that same glory from having been in the presence of God that, that they had in the beginning. So, and Moses called to them, though, and Aaron and all the leaders of the congregation returned to him, and Moses talked with them. So he had to beckon them to himself. They were not going to approach him unless he called them to approach him, and that's exactly what, what we live in our lives. When we come to the Lord, we do it because he calls us to himself, and here Moses does that very thing. Afterward, all the people of Israel came near and he commanded them all that what the Lord had spoken with him on Mount Sinai. And when Moses had finished speaking with them, he put a veil over his face. So he he allowed them to see that when he was speaking with them because they needed to see and understand these weren't Moses's words, actually, that he was speaking the words of God to them and they needed to receive it. As though it were coming from the Lord Himself, and so He allowed them to see that that glory when He spoke with them, because it authenticated Him as a representative of God, and so they saw in Moses they heard and saw God speaking, and it's important that we that we see that uh, clearly because they were afraid to come to Him only thing that, that changed that was he called them to himself in the same way that he did on Mount Sinai when he, told them, when he called the 72 up with Moses, but then when he told the people to stay away from the mountain and not to touch it because it was dangerous. And so the people had a reverent fear of God, and now that reverent fear of God was transferred to Moses as God's earthly representative, and the authentication of that was this radiance of his face and so when he spoke he was speaking for God but then after he finished speaking then he would veil his face and then remember there's another tent there there's something called the tent of meeting and Moses would go into there and he would converse with God face to face and we believe as Christians that's a theophany it's a it's a pre-incarnate Jesus that he's meeting with and so whenever he went in before the Lord to speak with him he removed the veil until he came out When he came out and told the people of Israel what he was commanded, the people of Israel would see the face of Moses, that the skin of his face was shining, and Moses would put the veil over his face again until he went in to speak with him. So there's a distinction in when Moses speaks to the people after speaking with God versus Moses just speaking to the people, and so he veils his face in other times in order that that they not see the fading of that glory and so you can just imagine that that moses regularly went to the tent of meeting but only when god beckoned him to come into his presence and so what we see here is the the authentication of god's prophet because he is a prophet uh, and he he in fact tells the people that a prophet like him will arise in the latter days and that they are to listen to him in the same way that they listen to moses so he is a prophet, and he 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 considers himself to be a prophet, because God considers himself to be a prophet. And so what is the role of a prophet? I've talked about this before. It's twofold. It's to represent the people and their needs and their concerns before the Lord, and to represent the Lord before the people. He is to align himself with God's purpose in such a way that he clearly communicates what God intends for the people. And And yet he is completely aligned with the people because he's one of them, and he's never intended to lose that uh, connection with the people. He's never to be the accuser of the people before God. It's actually the role of the Satan. And so it's not his job to, to convict the Lord that his people are sinful. It's his job to plead the people's case before the Lord, but it's also his job to plead God's case before the people is to align himself with both camps and that's what moses does moses does it again and again he intercedes for the people when they fall into sin he intercedes for them and he doesn't accuse them before the lord and when the lord says i'm going to start all over again and i'm going to make a people out of you moses says no 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 no, i'm not going to participate in that project you've already got a covenant you've got a covenant with our fathers and it's with these people yes i know they are a stiff-necked people but still you know, and so that's when Jesus comes. It's exactly the same thing. Who does he say he sent to? He sent to the lost sheep of Israel. And so he comes to make known God's will. And they don't receive him. They don't receive him as a prophet. That's exactly what John says. They don't receive him as prophet. They don't receive him as Messiah. They, they receive him, in fact, as a blasphemer, one who uh, sets out to believe that he has equality with God. In the lesson today, what we're seeing is is something very similar to what happens with Moses, but Jesus only does it in the presence of three of his disciples, and they don't tell anybody until after the resurrection. So Jesus reveals himself to these three because they're going to be the leaders of the early church, and so they see the, the glorification of Jesus, or the glory of Jesus, really, not glorification, that's not fair, glory of Jesus here on the mountain of transfiguration today. About eight days after, saying the, after these sayings, so what are these sayings? Okay, the sayings are when Jesus asked the disciples who the people said he was, and then who they said he was, and Peter confessed him to be the Christ. So it's eight days after that. So Peter has believed something, and now Jesus is going to show him and James and John, the fullness of that revelation and the truth, that it, that it exceeds anything they've previously thought Messiah might be. So he goes up after these sayings, he took with him Peter and John and James and went up on the mountain to pray. The high places were always places of prayer because it reached to the heavens. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered. Does that sound familiar? Moses' face is altered, having been in the presence of God. So the appearance of his face was altered, and his clothing became dazzling white. Now, that's not the same (laughs) as Moses. We don't see anything about his clothing becoming white Or changing in any shape form or fashion and so here though there's a fullness of this and it's not it's not a god tan it's not the moon no it's coming from within him and so the the veil of his flesh is being removed in order that the glory could be revealed the glory from within it's the glory of the one and only and that's what John says we've seen his glory the glory of the one and only. And he did. John saw this incredible sight here. And so they looked when this happens while Jesus is praying. And then two men were, appeared talking with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now, Peter and those who were with him were heavy with sleep. But when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. Now, do we know that they know that it's Moses and Elijah that they wouldn't have had pictures, but the conversation itself must have been the way that they knew who these two men were. And as the men were parting from him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it's good that we are here. Let's make three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. In other words, he was pretty clueless. About this thing, he doesn't understand, and so, but but he's Peter, like John Green. He's got to say something, even though you know. Frequently, you look back and you think, well, that sounds idiotic, but at the time, <laughs> he just needed to say something. And, and you can imagine that he would, if he if, if you knew that Moses and Elijah were here, you'd want to preserve that moment, right? You'd want this moment to last a little longer. And it's basic hospitality to make places for them for these tents for them so the, then however (laughs) a cloud came and overshadowed them does that sound like sinai at some level to you and they were afraid as they entered the cloud and a voice came out of the cloud saying this is my son my chosen one listen to him so what's happened here the other two have vanished and when the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone, and they kept silent, and no one in those and until no one in those days anything of what they had seen, because they were frightened and they didn't understand the meaning of it. And so this voice comes from the cloud, within the cloud, and tells them, "This is my beloved Son, my chosen one. Listen to him." It, it's a powerful declaration, and it's so powerful, that remember what I told you earlier about Moses's prophecy, that a prophet would arise like him from among their brothers, and they were to listen to him in the same way they had listened to Moses. So when God here says, listen to him, he's authenticating him as the fulfillment of the promise of Moses. Because Elijah's there, Elijah represents the prophetic tradition, and he is the, the, the prophet thought of in Israel as greater than any other because he was the one who stared down the prophets of Baal up on Mount Carmel. He was the one who, who God spoke with in a face-to-face way, had his own theophany of the Lord, when he's standing in the cave and the Lord comes in the, in the not in the mighty rushing wind or any of that, or, or the thunder and the lightning that day, but no, in a still small voice. He spoke with Elijah, and so he's considered to be the sort of the example of the prophets. He he represents the prophets. Moses represents the law. Elijah represents the prophets. So where does Jesus fit? And the voice proclaims that he's greater than all. And they're to listen to him. They're they're, they're to take their attention that they've been giving to these others and turn it to Jesus because he is the fullness and the explanation of everything God's ever spoken. And so they're, they're to they're to turn their attention completely to him. Now, he said things, and he's going to continue to say things they don't like. But, but they, they've believed certain things about Jesus, but they're trying to mesh what they believe with what they know. And when I say what they know, what I mean is what they've been taught. And what God's saying is, you don't understand the Messiah must be crucified. Listen to him, because he's telling you the truth. He is going beyond your understanding because there's certain things about your understanding that's wrong, and so you need to listen to him now because you've misunderstood other things. So after that, the next day, they come back down the mountain, and a great crowd meets him there, and behold, a man from the crowd cried out, Teacher, that's what he thinks he is, Teacher, I beg you to look at my son, for he's my only child. And behold, a spirit seizes him, and he suddenly cries out. It convulses him so bad that he foams at the mouth and shatters him and har- will hardly leave him. And, you know, since, because of Will's uh, head injury, he's also had um, some seizures in the past. It's been a, quite a while now since he's had one, but he, but he had seizures. And, and I, this is what it looks like. It looks exactly like what this man's saying. And he says, and I begged your disciples to cast it out, this spirit, but they couldn't. And Jesus answered, O faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you and bear with you? Bring your son here. While he was coming, the demon threw him to the ground and convulsed him. But Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit and healed the boy and gave him back to his father. And all were astonished at the majesty of God. So the the disciples, the three of them, had seen this revelation of Jesus on the mountain, the clear revelation demonstration of who he is, his glory coming from within him, the veil of his flesh removed and the glory shining forth from him, then now he comes down and he's confronted with this situation that needs to be dealt with. And the situation is one that that the disciples haven't been able to rectify. And so Jesus's intention is to transfer his ministry to them through the power of the Holy Spirit. But they still lack something here. And that's why he says that about the faithless and twisted generation. He wants to be back with the Father, but, but that can't be done until the disciples, at least, believe and receive the Holy Spirit and, and understand the power by which he does these things. So the it's an odd revelation. It's not one that we would probably choose. It's not one that we would necessarily understand very well if we had been given this same revelation that happens on the mountain of Transfiguration. but for a Jew it would have had a, an incredible powerful um, image. And the reason is is that that the, the description in the Torah and, and there are multiple descriptions of this in Torah that that show, and talk about the garments of the high priests. And those garments are, are typically referred to as the golden garments within Judaism. They're made with precious fabrics, colored with precious dyes, sparkling with gold thread and golden ornaments, glittering with precious stones. I mean, it, they're elaborate uh, garments. But But there's one exception to that, and that exception is made on Yom Kippur. On Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, Right, so it's the day on which the judgment for the year is sealed. They they send the goats out that want they one for Asasel and, and one for them, and so that 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 is the symbolism that the one that belongs to Asasel, if it goes out and doesn't return, then the sins have been atoned for. God's accepted the atonement that they've done on Yom Kippur with the day that I told you about earlier, when they when the priest high priest goes in and throws blood on the um, Ark of the Covenant on the on the covering the Kippurit of the Ark of the Covenant in order to make sure that it stay that the judgment stay sealed against his people. So Yom Kippur, when they do the sacrificial portion, the the ritual kinds of things, the twice daily offering of a lamb, the renewing the lamps on the lampstand, for instance, in, in, putting new um, incense on the altar of incense, all those things. They would wear those golden garments, but for the specific ritual for Yom Kippur, like entering the Holy of Holies or even selecting and sending out the scapegoat, the high priest wore four white garments with no gold and no jewels, and those are called the linen garments, and the, there, are, there are many, many songs of praise uh, um, for that appearance of the the high priest when he came back out but but they're not as in other poetry they they're not a celebration of the beauty of the garments no it has to do with the high priest himself these poetry this poetry and and these songs give glory to god for the appearance of the high priest after he has spent time with god it's not his garments any longer that are important, but his garments are a significant portion of this because the effect that those white garments would have had when this high priest came out, because he would have a headdress on, remember, that says, holiness to the Lord. And what that's intended to convey to God is that, that we, we're sure that we didn't do this perfectly, and we ourselves are tainted by sin, so, but, but our intention is what's on the headdress, holiness to the lord we've we've done our best to comply but because we're human we're faulty and so this is our intention so they so they wear the headdress when they go in but it's it's a fascinating thing it's not the the, the, they celebrate the glowing shining nature of the high priest's countenance when he comes back from being in the presence of god in the very throne room of god and so it's it's the radiance of contact with God that's celebrated in the poetry and the hymnody associated with Yom Kippur. And so Jesus is preparing here to make atonement for sin. And so it's appropriate in that setting that, that the garments be transfigured into white, but a whiter white than is possible by any fuller or bleachery is what we're told in the other Gospels, and so the, his garments are transfigured because as his glory comes forth, then it transfigures everything that it touches, and that's the way that that our prayer life, our study life, is intended to produce that same thing in us. We're intended to 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 become filled with His Holy Spirit, such that the radiance of God shines forth from His people. Our love and our connection with Him is intended to be physical. It's intended to make us different people. You should see the radiance of those who have come into the presence of the living God. But, but also in the atonement of Christ, we are like the high priest Joshua from Zechariah 3, 1-5. to He showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord and the Satan standing at his right hand to accuse him. And the Lord said to the Satan, The Lord rebuke you, Satan, The Lord has chosen Jerusalem, rebuke you. It's not this a brand plucked from the fire. Now Joshua was standing before the angel clothed with filthy garments. And it's that would represent that he was a sinful man as well. And he was compromised. And the angel said to those who were standing before him, remove the filthy garments from him. And to him, he said, behold, I've taken your iniquity away from you. And I will clothe you with rich apparel. And I said, Zechariah, let them put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head and clothed them with garments. And the angel of the Lord was standing by. The angel of the Lord, we believe to be Jesus himself. And so in this, he's standing by as the intercessor. He's the one who, who provides the atonement for the sins of the high priest, and it's an odd thing to think of atoning for the sins of the high priest because that that would have been considered the most holy person in Judaism and yet here we see Jesus provides the atonement for his sins and it's based on the atonement of Jesus that will happen long time afterwards that he can put these clean garments of white on the high priest in the face of the accusation of satan it's it's all based in the atonement of christ and the belief in in him. But we receive that same thing. That's who you are. That's your new identity in him is you have new garments. It's no longer the, the filthy garments that you have on. You, you, are, you are perceived by God in the same way that he perceives his son. He loves you and wants you to be with him forever. But those, those garments are intended also to change us As Paul says, we're to to be transformed by the renewing of our minds, and so we are intended to become like him. So the process of justification is the taking of the filthy garments and the giving of the new clean robes, but the process of sanctification is the process of amending our lives in order that we can be more like Christ and that his glory might shine forth from us because of the Holy Spirit that's in us. And so what, we're, what are we doing in order to make that possible? So it's a matter of amending our lives. We know that that righteousness is not properly ours. It belongs to him. And so what we want to do then is, is to, to, in our own lives, to have that righteousness through the power of the Holy Spirit in order that we can reveal him more clearly and more truthfully and more faithfully. But he's to be revealed in everything in our lives, everything we do, everything we say. It's intended to reveal him. And it reveals something. <laughs> the way we live, the things we say, all that reveals something. But our, our job and our goal should be to reveal him in all those things. Paul, in, in kind of considering all this, says, since we have such a hope, we're very bold not like Moses, who would put a veil over his faith so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end, but their minds were hardened. For to this day, when they read the old covenant, the same veil remains unlifted because only through Christ Jesus is it taken away. And, you know, you all probably know this, that I read a lot of rabbinic literature and I, and I study a lot of rabbinic literature. I listen to a lot of rabbis. And the thing that, that breaks my heart so often is I, I'll listen and I'll read and I'll see you're getting closer, you're getting closer, you're getting closer, and then no. And it's because if you start by rejecting Jesus on the front end, he's going to keep revealing to you as long as you say that you want to know, but it, only until you accept the truth. That Jesus is Messiah and he is Lord and he is the approved sacrifice and the accepted sacrifice because we know that because of the resurrection then then the veil remains the lifting of the veil is belief in the Lord Jesus Christ yes to this day whenever Moses is read a veil lies over their eyes but when one turns to the Lord the veil is removed and then you begin to understand all of Scripture and that's the reason we have to listen to him as we interpret all things Now, the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes by the Lord, who is the Spirit. And so the revelation of Jesus is intended to transform us. It's intended to transform us into his likeness. And so spending time with him is the most important thing we can do, because that's where we're transformed, is in the time we spend with him in our prayer closet and in study. That's where change, real change, takes place as we begin to fill ourselves with his word and and feast on his presence. He says, therefore, having this ministry, the ministry of the proclamation of the gospel, by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. Because it's not me. I have the ministry by the mercy of God. I don't lose heart, Paul says, because of persecution. I don't don't lose heart because people reject my gospel. Because it's by the mercy of God that I have this ministry at all. It's not about me. It's not down to me. The results of this are all God's. So I persevere in the work because it's a work that, that I have mercifully been given to do. I don't deserve this. God mercifully gave me this ministry and so i want to be faithful to what i've been given but we have renounced disgraceful underhanded ways so we're being transformed which means to be changed into his likeness we refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with god's word but by the open statement of truth we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of god and so paul knew from long experience that that he had that same veil over his face and he misunderstood and he didn't believe. And he saw, ultimately revealed from heaven by hearing his own revelation when he was struck blind on the road to Damascus. And it says, Paul, Paul, why do you kick against the goads? And he says, who are you? And the words come, I am Jesus. It's not the father speaking, it's Jesus speaking personally to Paul. So he has his own audience, as it were, with Jesus. And it's important that we all come face-to-face with him. And it's important because then we will continue to seek that face-to-face encounter as often as we possibly can. Because his glory is so wonderful. His love for us, his mercy for us, and his grace towards us are so great that they're intended to change us into his image that we might be truly Christ-bearers to the world.